person. In fact, I have done so. As uh, you're probably guessing from my accent, I come from a, a country whereby you can say that and it's not considered a weird thing. But what we are talking about is a differential across the income distribution where those who basically made out the best in the past 10, 15 years of the financial boom are the ones who are not bearing the costs of the financial bust. So ordinary people at the bottom end of the income distribution, you can call them middle class, you can call them working class, whatever you want, are the ones whose incomes are relatively fixed, have not had great wage rises, if any real wage rises, uh, when you take inflation into account over the past decade and a half or longer, are the ones who are stressed out in debt, are the ones whose jobs are much more fragile these days. And they're the ones who, first of all, have to pay for the bailouts in terms of the increasing government debt, which means at the local and national level, more interest payments, which means higher taxes or lesser spending. So they're doubly taxed, first of all, by paying for the bailouts, and secondly, by the lost growth. And then thirdly, by the consolidation that meant to come along afterwards to clean up the mess. Meanwhile, at the top of the income distribution, Jamie Dimon from Barclays has just got 6.8 million as a new bonus. Well, you know, things are nice at the top. So uh, I, I guess it, it, that doesn't help us come back to what the government should do about this. We can all complain about the people who have getting more and the people who don't have getting less. But what does that mean in terms of practical politics? What can you do on a government basis to try to raise everybody's boat? There has to be some hard and consistent choices made from top to bottom. We are spending too much money relative to our tax take. If you're basically bringing in 19% of GDP in taxes and spending 30, you've got a problem. Somehow you're going to have to figure out a way to pay more taxes. Now, either that means top earners pay more, or it means you have a national value-added tax, or something else. And if you don't want to pay taxes, then simply give up trying to do certain things, like, for example, the fire department. Because things cost money. Roads cost money. Education costs money. The single most expensive discretionary item in the federal budget is Medicare D, prescription drugs for elderly people. If you're really serious about getting control of the budget, that needs to be cut. You can cut every single discretionary program apart from that one. You won't make a difference. So hard choices need to be made on taxes and spending. And simply skirting around the margins and pretending that by beating up on unions you'll produce a quarter of a million jobs is really just ridiculous. You've looked at this on an international basis, and clearly the the standard now is to go for an austerity budget. We're not seeing much of anybody who is pursuing uh, stimulus spending, for instance. How can it be so clear to you and so completely unclear to the people in power? It's a really interesting question. There are very strong electoral incentives for any democratic politician to cut taxes. There are no incentives to raise them. You're out of a job. Nothing succeeds like success. We had 30 years of privatization, deregulation, treating your houses and ATM, credit cards and the whole thing. And while there's a moral story that says people were living beyond their means, they were living beyond their means because they had no other means, because their wages were not growing relative to the costs of sending your kids to college and paying for your healthcare expenditures. So what we need to do is to rethink entirely, I think, from the ground up what it is that we're trying to do with government and what it is we're trying to shelter and from what we're trying to shelter and where and why. Is there enough money to pay for all of these things? Is it possible to balance cuts and taxes enough to stabilize the economy? It's not a technical question. It's always a political question. 
I have a friend and colleague who occasionally teaches in Sweden, and he does a little experiment, which I do as well, which I, we stand in front of our students, maybe 100, 200 students, and we start off and we say, how many of you think that paying 90% taxes is crazy? And in Sweden, everyone thinks that's crazy. But once you get down to 70%, they begin to think it's reasonable. And basically, they settle around 60 or 50%. Why? Because they get a free, high-quality, higher education. Because healthcare is paid for by the state. Because public transport isn't awful and called Amtrak, etc., etc. So if you have high-quality public goods, you're willing to pay for them. Because you get what you pay for. In the United States, I do the same thing. I start at the other end of the distribution and say, is 10% okay? And usually people settle on 20 to 30%, but aren't willing to go any higher than that. Why? Because they have an experience that a lot of them go to private school because the state-supplied school wasn't good enough. They invest and they save their money and they don't expect the state to do for them. And uh, you end